Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Real History. Uh, I am your co-host, Hugh David, and my, with me is my other co-host... Hi, I'm Jenna. Jenna Bateman. <laughs> yes. And we are... Well, I can't call myself a professional historian because I was a professional history teacher, which is not necessarily... The, some people would argue it's not the same thing, but my passion <laughs> for it remains. You are a, a an undergrad... Are you still technically an undergraduate student? You are, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, But you will be... A, Yes, but you will be you will be graduating soon uh, in it with a full degree in history, and you uh, we each have our specialties, obviously, which means and as well as the general things we're interested in. But here, what we do on our podcast is we try to talk about uh, those things that film, TV, books, what have you, fiction have taken on in historical context, and we try to get to the bottom of whether or not we think there is sufficient uh, history in it to uh, to make it worthwhile to be looked at and enjoyed by historians, let alone fans. Because obviously you can be a fan of something and love it and still appreciate that things about it suck. <laughs> <laughs> Given we're both fans of all kinds of things, we're very aware of this fact. Um, so today we're going to look at 2008's feature film version of The Other Berlin Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically... A big part of British history, which changed everything. Basically. Yes, which is Pr- kind of appro- it's kind of appropriate given we're recording this during a weekend, which another big part of uh... British history, following a similar issue, sim- not issue, well, not about it's not about heirs this time, but it is about who rules the country next, uh, has all occurred. So let's leaving aside the comparisons to the modern day for just one second, <laughs> we can come back. Yeah, to that. can we go back to the happy times where people are getting their heads lopped off? Exactly. Well, that's precisely what certain people think, isn't it? Out there in the real world, sadly. Uh, Jenna, let's 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 get, um, let's talk about this. Let's give it a brief summary for people who haven't seen it or mm-hmm. read it. So Philippa Gregory, well-known histor- history, sorry, fiction, history novelist, I should say. Yes. Um, but I would argue that the level of research she does makes her something of a historian anyway. Yeah, she uh, does call herself a historian. I exactly. Guess. Philippa Gregory, who may be known to some people listening to this cast more recently for... Uh, they've been There's been a series of adaptations for television through BBC and Stars. Um of her novels because she specializes in the Tudor periods the Tudor just before and uh, the Berlin, uh, other Berlin girl as well when we're looking at mm. Wars of the Roses era and all that kind of thing so we've had the the White Queen as a mini series which yeah. adapted three of her books they then followed that up with the White Princess mm-hmm. and now they've got this year the Spanish Princess which funnily enough is about Catherine of Aragon which brings us to Henry VIII and the other Berlin girl, so yeah. that's why I raised that. So she's written about this entire period of history. However, the other Berlin girl um, was slightly contra- was well, no, not slightly. It was fairly controversial as a novel before it was even uh, a film. It was also a yeah. TV movie in two thousand and three on BBC, which was very, a fairly radical approach to it with an excellent cast. Uh, female director, who, by the way, I should point out, is still one of the only women to win. Um, best directing BAFTA twice now. Oh, cool! Yeah, and and she decided along with the cast uh, to improvise the script, um, <laughs> and and took a very radical approach to the visual style of it, um, which did, what yeah. didn't sit well with everybody. Um, however, this feature, I suspect, that's part of why this feature got made five years later. Yeah, um, even, and even though the BBC still owns the rights to it as well, because the BBC logo 
appears quite often. The, the so. earlier version, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, well, I suspect it's something like the arrangement that's just happened for his Dark Materials, yeah, where the company that owned both the TV and the film rights sublicensed the TV rights back to a company here in Britain to make it. Yeah. Um, I suspect here, I don't know what Gregory's agent got her in terms of packaging all the rights, but uh, at any rate, what's interesting is that the director of The Other Balloon Girl is also a TV director, mm. moving up to his first big feature. And I think he I think he acquits himself admirably, although if you read comments online, you'd think no, people have never seen a film shot the way he shot it from the way they're talking. <laughs> uh, clearly, 2008, there mm. were still people who thought, oh, this is what TV looks like, not film. When it's actually, I'm looking at it going, wow, he's using all kinds of really cool tricks from the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the writer of this adaptation is the, the now justly famous Peter Morgan, who is arguably the go-to man um, for high-quality versions of British history which are seen through the lens of political drama. He's a playwright, he's a, uh, a scriptwriter, and now he's currently showrunner of The Crown on Netflix. Mm. Um, and so if, if anyone who's not seen this version of The, of the Other Balloon Girl, bear that in mind going in, because I, I ultimately think that may be the most important thing to know when you're trying to address the controversies around it. But... Yeah. Coming back to the history, Jenna, summarise very just just briefly for people who don't know a lot. I know everybody here in Britain these days does the Tudors at school, either in primary school yeah. or in secondary school. Usually or both. both. <laughs> usually both these days, yeah. Or s- several times during secondary school. <laughs> yeah, depending on how the t- your 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 history department lays it out. So, um, yeah. and in university too. <laughs> well, f- well, I think that's why a lot of people choose to do it at university. Mm. I think they've done it often enough at school, school uh, that they think, oh, this is really interesting and fascinating. But I also um, personally think that a lot of people think it's... I think there's an incredible importance attached to this era, yes. particularly now. I think a lot of modern politicians over the last 30 years, 40 years, keep referencing this era as a period of English greatness. And uh, I think that is disingenuous i think when you dig in and look at how it was i think there was a lot of troubling aspects to how britain was ruled at the time yeah i think that i think i think a lot of people get swept up in the drama of it all Mm. um you know there's a reason something that's relatively trashy like the tudors does is popular yeah. As a series, TV series. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I, it's, it's very popular. There's and things also, it does well. The Tudors have a lot of basis. It's a lot of the... Inf- not Is it influence? For uh, Game of Thrones as well. So like, yeah. a lot of it is based off the War of the Roses. Yes. And you can see certain similarities between certain characters. Yeah. And considering Natalie Dormer plays... Anne Boleyn in the Tudors as well. <laughs> oh, I, no, absolutely. The casting is a big part of why Game of Thrones occasionally feels like a British period drama. Yeah. Um, and I think that was always one of its strengths. Um, mm. So, yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, so so let's briefly summarise for people what... We say the other Boleyn girl. Well, mo- at school, everyone learns about Anne Boleyn. Yes. Right? Who was Henry's second wife. Yeah. And is the is the often seen by many historians as a leading... Uh, cause in Henry's decision to move, despite his own Catholic faith, move yeah. Britain wholesale into Protestantism because she herself was 
or at least depending on how you look at the details, mm. was Protestant or, or espoused Protestant values. Because um, both her and her sister Mary had been uh, at the French court for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So they came into contact with Protestant thinkers um, mm-hmm. and that obviously influenced the way that they thought about Protestantism. It I guess to them it wasn't seen as this really scary thing mm-hmm. um, because what we got to remember is that recent, at the time uh, Martin Luther who um, is the start of Protestantism basically mm-hmm. had just in the last decade or so I guess because I'm a bit fuzzy on the dates had nailed his 95 thesis uh, 95 Basically, 95 things that are wrong with the Catholics uh, <laughs> to a church door. Um, yeah. And a meme was born of, I've got 95 problems, uh, but Catholics ain't one or something. <laughs> mm. uh, it, I, I mean, it, the, the thing is that a lot uh, the, there were decisions made by the Catholic Church as an entity as a whole in various countries over the course of the late Middle Ages yeah. that... Met that in- created increasing unrest amongst not just the ordinary populace attending church, but also created friction between the church's own representatives and local nobles. Yeah, and countries there were there were debate there were there, there were clashes over taxation, over financing, over you know the use of the, of land, um, and so there was a gen- uh, you know the the the, the fact that the, the Catholic Church had, for example created something like the concept of purgatory and was and and, yeah. and in certain countries were starting to charge for you know uh indulgences yeah all of that stuff so yeah. in but but the thing was that at this point even though there is theologians creating protests and there are philosophers discussing things you have yet to see um a that there, there, yeah, there, there is there is a groundswell happening amongst various countries, but we are still not quite at that point where a major uh, power within Europe, a major uh, royal family, is about to say, "Fine, we're not hap- We're we're going to break away." Yeah, um, Henry VIII had actually written a. I think the best word for it is an essay, uh, mm-hmm. although that was probably not the word they would have used at the time about how bad the 95 thesis was and mm. he was uh, a def- very strong catholic yes he was uh he i think he got like protector of the faith or something from the pope yep he mm-hmm. was recognized for his catholicism from Good. the pope and from yeah. the religious establishment um one thing we do need to remember about henry the is that he was actually never meant to be king Yes. Um, his brother, who was Prince Arthur, yes, was meant to be the original king, yeah. and that the is elder, also the elder heir. The the other prince, I guess, man. I can't think of a better title. <laughs> prince is fine. Yeah, I guess. No, I was trying to make a pun on the uh, title of the. Oh, sorry. So yes, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. The other Tudor boy. Yes, that would do. <laughs> Um, so, because his father, who was Henry the Seventh, had come into power through the War of the Roses, mm-hmm. um, defeating Richard the Third. Yep. Yeah, I just had to double check. And there's a whole 
backlog of history about him as well and then being found in a car park <laughs> <laughs> to bring it up to date yes um british history is amazing and um, it's not over yet no we're living through H- hence why we find b- bodies in car parks um <laughs> sorry <laughs> but as you were saying <laughs> so yeah um so part of the schism that started could be seen by the fact that he married his w- brother's widow. Right. So this is important that people understand that at the time, this isn't seen as a form of incest. She's an in-law. Yeah. But she's also a key power player. She's Spanish. She That gives Britain an alliance with the most, one of the, arguably at the time, the most powerful Catholic kingdom. Yeah, which in had Europe just been uh taken over by Catholics uh defeated the Moors and taken them out of Spain. Yeah, and it's um, also yeah. and it's also a country that will become incredibly important for both the development culturally of yeah. Europe. They're going to invent uh the novel and the play, a certain type of play that will influence Shakespeare and British literature. Yeah. They're also going to uh obviously kick help uh, boost the race for colonization yep and taking and and and, and bringing back that wealth uh, from other countries to boost well, their own sorry no, i would say fine. this period as well is where england well i will, i can't say the united kingdom because we weren't the united kingdom nope, we're we not were yet. england at the time yeah people need um, to remember that yeah um i think wales was part of us as well but i can't remember Look up the history of like how the United Kingdom works, especially for any foreign listeners, and it is super super complicated, mm-hmm. especially when we get into empires. Mm. Um, so Henry VIII marries his brother's widow uh, with the knowledge that they hadn't consummated the wedding because mm-hmm. uh, they were very young when they got married. Yes. Um, as I said, that again. Sorry, yeah. again. We just need to mention for modern listeners. This is really important. This is part of how, whether or not, and the point is not that Catherine of Aragon and Arthur didn't have sex. We're not saying that. The point is that, for public record purposes, as far as we know, the statement was made, and and, and this is what everyone stuck to. Where the story was, they did not consummate the marriage because that allowed Henry. To then and th- this is really important because these are the rules, the the, the 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 spoken rules that are at play here. Because when the point of keeping that this all what what makes everything problematic is the need for a male heir. Yes, and the Britain has already been through one very long period of civil war here, in which you had the two. Uh, sides of the family fighting as to who would be king and nobody yeah. in Britain wants this to happen well in England so he wants this to happen again so it's Henry understands his father created stability yes. and provides massive stability for a very long time Henry doesn't want to risk that but the problem is that means he must have a male heir and if he's not going to get it from Catherine and given she's considered, it's worth pointing out as well, there is an age gap here as well. Yes. And that she's getting to a point where it's it's getting harder and harder for her in that period of time to be able to even bear children. Yeah. Henry starts looking around for other options. And of um, course, 
he's young and at this time he's quite healthy he's quite fit he's quite attractive he wasn't planning on being king so he's he's an athlete and a and a musician and all yeah. these other things he, in other words the ladies like him <laughs> and he knows it so he is fa- basically if they had posters in that time they would be pinning up posters of him and going swoon kind yeah. of thing yeah i mean so... there's there's a reason why this feature version chooses to cast eric Barner. yes um you know most people haven't seen Hen- until at least until you had something like the Tudors come along, you, you didn't have. We didn't. People didn't cast people like that for Henry. They, everyone thinks of the later Henry. Yeah, they always cast with that the famous picture of him in mind, where he is overweight, old, and, overweight, yeah. uh, gout, got other you know other illnesses. Um, so I think it's really important that people understand that in the other the other Berlin girl as a feature, tries to compress a great deal of time into one film. Yes. And at the start of it, he's still this younger man wrestling with issues and desires and, and decisions. Um, and one of those, of course, is because he needs an heir, he's going to take a mistress. Yes. You know, it's not a very nice thing to do to the, to the wife, but it's not unexpected. And also, it is important to note, he was actually in love with Catherine of Aragon. Uh, there is many primary sources yes. uh, and letters to her that show that they did have a genuine relationship. Um, it A lot of the time, depending on which way it's betrayed, uh, the Queen Catherine is betrayed as either a martyr or a spiteful woman. It's... Mm. Again, it's I guess that mother Madonna complex. Well, uh, yeah, so. the, the the Madonna whole complex. I mean, yeah. I think I think I think, and also I think that will depend on whether uh, the gender of the historian writing as well may well come into that. And also um, if they're Catholic or Protestant. And the religion, yes. Yeah. Um, I think what the other Berlin girl does interestingly as a film is, despite Anna Torrance, who's an excellent excellent Spanish actress, not being on screen for very long. Yeah. She makes a hell of an impact because the scenes Morgan creates for her are very much about... You, know, you see her her sadness and regret at the, in the start that she's... You know, she knows she's getting... She's, she's, it's highly unlikely she's going to be able to provide an, a male heir anytime yeah. soon. And she has to live with that. The scene where she meets both Billin girls... Uh, as members and well and and officially welcomes them into the ladies of the court. Yes, is very very loaded with with resonances and ideas about women at the time, how the how the way women themselves related to each other in this very very powerful but also very dominated. You know, the, 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 you know, the the power in that room is all about the different women and yeah. what their chances are. Or you know, are they are they servants? Are they wives? Are they wives, mistresses? Are they wives to be? You know, she knows why these younger women are here at court. Yeah, she knows where this is going, but it is not something that any of them in the room can say out loud. No, and she has to, but and she has to assert herself as the queen, despite that. And it is also important to note that she had given uh, Henry an heir, but it was a female heir. It was Queen Mary, um, well, Princess Mary at the time. Um, and the and, other heirs died. Yeah, she had miscarriages and stillborns. Um, yep. I think one boy survived for like a couple of weeks and then died. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's all... As someone that is a mum, you can really feel for her because that sort of connection between a mum and child and mm-hmm. 
the amount of pressure that must have been on her just to have a boy, even though women don't control the sex of the child, it was always mm. blamed on the woman. So yeah, and I think this is where it gets interesting because in, 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 this is this is something I think Gregory's really good at in the novel, and I feel like this film despite being written and directed by men, I yeah. feel like it did a very good job of trying to maintain uh, a lot of the points of view that, uh, the feminine point, female points of view, that the female perspectives that Gregory's trying to get across. And I, and I suspect mm. having actresses of the quality of Natalie Portman, Scarlett Johansson and Kristen Scott Thomas helped maintain that, and yeah. Anna Torrent. Um, but even though, as I said, even though Anna Torrent has so few scenes, I think it's what three, maybe four scenes, and that's yeah. it. In every one of them, she she nails what the importance of Catherine herself, what Catherine's trying to do, and when she confronts Henry over the issue of divorce, you know, that's coming up. It's worth again for modern listeners. It's not that you couldn't arrange a divorce with the Pope because for power reasons, this is actually quite a common because you need because of the need for an heir. It was actually. I wouldn't say normal, but it was it was not unknown for a royal family in a country to go to the Pope and say, could you please annul yeah. the previous marriage so that I can marry this other person to have an heir? Yeah. And this was not uncommon. And given, Hen- given you know, Henry had every expectation that he would be given permission to do this. The problem is, of course, that Catherine is from the Spanish royal family. Yes. And there was no way that the Pope was going to go, yeah, you know what? My biggest allies are Spain. Let me tick them off. Yeah. It just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> um, and that's when Henry starts getting more desperate and saying, well, what do I, how do, you know, that's when you get this moment of, well, what, 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 what is left as a solution yeah. to maintain the integrity of England. And this is where the Bullins come in, and if yeah. you check, and, and the film very much shows you a family that is manoeuvring, yes. that is playing for power, very much, and and not simply because Sir Thomas, the father, wants it, but also because of the Duke of Norfolk, yes, who here is brilliantly played by David Morrissey. It's also mm. Sir Thomas is played by Mark Rylance, who does, again amazing job. But Morrissey is basically using the rest of the family as chess pieces. Pretty much to influence power for that family. Yeah, so. and that's what Norfolk's trying to do. Yeah. And it's interesting that Lady Elizabeth, the mum, goes along with it in places, but clearly isn't happy with some of it. But we get a really great moment. And again, this is the sort of thing that may not be historically accurate, but this is what made me interested in this version of the story, where she's basically telling her girls at different points, you know, as women, what are your options? Yeah. In, here in this world we don't have many options so you're going to have to do x y and z you know it's like when she said like it's like when Anne is getting sent to the french court yeah you know there's that whole speech about what it is you can learn and what you need to go away and learn and come back with mm. you know and scott thomas as an actress who li- spends most of her time living and working in france and only comes back to, and comes back to england occasionally for yeah. work because she got more and better and more interesting work in france it you know it really rings when that statement comes yeah. she goes go to france and learn this and i was like yeah you would know <laughs> you know <laughs> um but again coming but but i'm getting back into the film production let's come back to the history side yeah. so so henry needs an heir He's looking at for mistresses. He's taking mistresses, I should say. Yeah. Um, and You've got in to remember this... the Bolim girls were not the first. Uh, no. I think he had had a son by 
Elizabeth something beginning with B. Um, but he couldn't recognise him as official. Yeah. So well, th- again, yeah. bastards were quite common at that time as well. Well, that's why he had the surname Fitzroy. Exactly, and so there was always that. You know, that was always seen as a, a, a partial solution. If the worst came to the worst, you know, we could use we could, yeah, the the court could consider one of them as long as they were, you know, educated, trained. Yeah. In the ways of court of, of royalty, um, backup so, to the backup, basically. Yeah, basically. So, um, so what is it? Uh, so th- this feature, th- this story focuses on the Berlin sisters. It it, it looks at it, it it follows the basics of what the historical outline. You know, yeah. Mary is bedded first. Yes. Um... And and in this version is it take, it become is is responds with jealousy finds her way back and then becomes mistress and we see her you know the consequences of that yeah. uh, particularly when she's unable to bear him a male heir yes um, um i was going to say one important thing that i would say about mary is that there is evidence uh from the king of france because we got to remember that if you just watch the film and Anne is sent to France as basically a punishment, mm-hmm. that's not how it happened. They pretty much grew up in the court of France. Yes. Um, as little girls growing up into young women. Um, Scarlett Johansson and the book show Mary as quite an inexperienced, young, sort of shy, not that sexually active woman. Uh, yes. The... Which is not, as far as we know, accurate to sources. No. Uh, the night that she spends with her husband, because she gets married right at the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. uh, who is William Carey, who mm-hmm. is played yes. by Benedict Cumberbatch, which I was yes. just like, oh, wait, oh, I know him. Oh, this film is just absolutely <laughs> chock full of actors who've gone on to become massive stars yeah um yeah, half the fun of watching it now is going oh look there's the hulk oh look there's doctor strange oh look <laughs> you know if you you know if you, it, I, I, it took me about five minutes before i went wait a minute doctor strange is marrying black widow oh, okay it's just ha-, you know but i mean <laughs> I, I didn't think of that <laughs> no i didn't either my partner pointed it out to me i was like oh wait okay but then you've got you know but inevitably when you put a when you stack the cast with this level of talent you know, I mean, Eddie remains in it. Even yeah. small roles. You know, Michael Smiley, who I absolutely adore, is is the physician who gives all the news about people's pregnancies and stuff. You know, yeah. um, it's just brilliant. So anyway, sorry, as and you were you saying, have, um, the King Messenger is Alfie Allen, who yeah. uh, played one of the oh, I can't remember his name, uh, Theon from Game of Thrones. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, and so it's also lo- sister uh, brother to. Um, Lily Allen, who is a singer, and yep. she has a wonderful song about it. <laughs> well, this is it. I mean, you know, you, if you for people now, given we're nearly t- we're over ten years on since this came out, yeah. there's a lot of fun to do that kind of star spotting. Mm. Um, but everybody acquits themselves very admirably within the framework of the script that they have in the director the direction, regardless of whether you think it's historically accurate or not. Yeah, and um, but coming back to what you were saying, like, so major oh, inaccuracy. Mary's not portrayed the way we understand her to be from historical sources. Yeah, there's um, a letter from, I believe it was the King of France, that referred to as her, her as his English mare and uh, his Ooh, hackney. So that, that means she got ridden, doesn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, 
there's a. I mean, I I did I read somewhere myself that um, there are sources indicating that one of the reasons Henry chose her for a mistress was because she was rumored to have had many affairs in France and therefore she was experienced. Yes, and also the um, reason that she might have come back from France was that the Queen pretty much chucked her out. Yeah, exactly. So, so, the, so there's a whole other dra- set of dramas that are not there in this version of the tale, which is mm. one of the many reasons it's been controversial with people who like more history in their fiction than this delivers. Mm. And it's also why some people, for all the trashiness of it, quite enjoyed The Tudors. Yes, because the Tudors, being a TV show, has a lot more time and room to go into all this stuff. It needs that drama, and obviously it did yeah, go into all that. I will say with the other bowling girl, it does feel like this happens over a few months. Whereas actually it's, it's years. years. Absolutely, yes. Especially with the pregnancies and given stuff the, like that. Given the way, because it is quite fast relatively fast cut in terms of the editing i did actually feel like i could have done with a a date turning up a date stamp turning up yeah. every now and every every now and then just so we understood you know it, it it is a it really does rocket through the events i mean the film's just under two hours and it felt like 90 minutes it just goes bam 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 and now this is happening and now this is happening i was like whoa slow and also, down we've got to remember that a lot of communication between like henry and the pope and yep. even henry and his courtiers around the country mm-hmm. could take minimum days for the messages to get to them well this is the whole thing isn't it months to get to like uh italy and this is the whole thing. This is a feature film and a modern feature film at that. Yeah. And it can't really accommodate that sense of, you know, it has to do what that that old shorthand from theatre plays where, you know, some a messenger just comes on screen and says, here's the message, boom, done, off. And you just, yeah. you know, that, that we don't get a sense of time. Or at best, you, uh, you know, we don't even get what you used to get back then with a character going, oh, fa- finally, it's taken weeks. You know, you don't even yes. get that. There's no time for that here. You know, there, there are there are moments where you think that the scene is happening within minutes of the previous scene and there's literally a cut of years and they don't yeah. make it clear. And that is... I think, a failing of how they chose to edit and structure it. Um... I mean, I will say with the Tudors in general, so from Henry VII to Elizabeth I, Mm. it was a period with a lot of change in a scope of things in a short time. Mm. But it was not the wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, that was from the film, basically. Um we got to remember that after um, there's a reason Henry VIII had six wives and what he's famous for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact of you have to remember which order that's how divorced, mar- uh, beheaded, died mm. before divorced, beheaded, survived. So yes, the old yeah. Uh, uh, school um, 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 mnemonic. Yeah. yeah. And considering I was taught that at the age of sort of, Eight mm-hmm. <laughs> is mm-hmm. a bit yeah. disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, so, but that's how it works, isn't it? Yeah, and obviously you don't hear about the mistresses at that sort of time, and you don't it you don't know about the amount of drama that was sort of going on. And I can completely understand why TV and film want to do this period because it is fascinating, and the amount of drama that you can take out of it is 
intense drama. I mean, I saw a review that called this uh, Hollyoaks and period clothes. Well, okay, so this is the thing I found interesting about a lot of the responses to this film. There's a real... uh, uh, Thread isn't the word. There's an absolute deluge of criticism that this is... To and that that you know not that not just damn it for the his the lack of historical accuracy, but damn it for its sense of soap opera for suggesting it's soap operatic, like you've just said, yeah. right? And I think that's blo- I think that's that that's massively shortchanging the film. I think what the mm. film does that you don't always see in these period dramas is it because it, it, and this is where uh, I think you can see Philip Gregory's hand showing through Morgan's script is the, uh, the, the 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 Justin Chadwick the director shoots this in the way that you would expect what we used to call women's pictures to be shot yeah you know this is a film that very clearly chooses to take the points of view of the women mm. the men are all there the men all have roles they command when they need to bar banner barring banner who is a little I think he would. I, I don't know. I, there's something slightly off about his performance, and I'm not quite sure how to to to, mm. to isolate that in relation to his other performances. But I think it, I think part of it may be to do with the accent. Part of it may be to do with the fact that ultimately he's not really required to be the full blown Henry that we know from history. Here he's more about he's rep, it's more about he, how he who he is in relation to the women. Yes, this is about the women and. Even though we know that there's a great deal of untruth put into it, what I think is interesting is Gregory's choice to imagine these women in a way that allows a modern audience to connect with them. Yeah. So whether or not you, whether or not Anne and Mary actually had a relationship like this, by deciding, by choosing to do the classic drama thing of here's the nice girl and here's the naughty girl, mm. but then deepen both of those layers she gives it uh, she 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 makes it more relatable for a slightly wider audience it's a classic film thinking thing you know yeah. but she did it already in the novel where she understood she, you know some people described it un- uh, and they're not always unkindly as a bodice ripper so you know that genre yeah. of historical fiction that is for was was usually aimed at women and was designed to be as, as sexy as you could allow Within the parameters of a book that was neither, fa- you know, neither it, that, that's not meant to be blatantly erotic. Yeah. Um, and I think this film gets that right. You know, the sex scenes, the first sex scenes with with Banner are really interesting because they're shot so much from the woman's point of view. Banner becomes all kind of, you know, the way the the camera moves around his body. It's yeah. about he's the one who takes his shirt off. Yeah. Uh, the girls never take their shirts off, which I'm like. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but but that's the point. That's exactly the point is to say, look at him. You know, enjoy the male, the, the the male physique. Look at how you know that. that this you know is I mean? a king. Yeah, but he's not just the king. He's fit. You yeah. know, let let the camera glide down his chest as he's pumping between her legs. You know, I mean, it's yeah. really incredibly well thought. You know, it, it's genuine. They they made a real effort to try and uh, and provide a perspective on female desire rather than simply look at it as, oh, the man is in charge. There's a sense of what women are doing in a time period where they have... They're, they're not... Particularly if they are of wealthy background. Yeah. 
and are not given too many options, how they get around these things and how they do that, but then connect that to some sense of real emotion. Some of the desperation Portman conveys as Anne really got to me. Yeah. And in particular, the run-up to her execution. Uh, that's, you know, she the performance she gives of someone who really doesn't want to die and is fully aware that it is coming very, very soon. Yeah. Um... Was heartbreaking i will say her performance was amazing but again that's another historical inaccuracy because yes amberlyn uh in all the primary sources that you can read about her execution was very poised uh she yep. even made a joke about her tiny neck uh she said the lord's prayer before um she was calm about it considering she was about to have her head cut off um as a nicety uh henry the eighth paid for a french swordsman to come yes. over rather than someone with an axe which so... they kept in this but they didn't yeah. tell you why that no. explanation again i feel like this was longer and they cut it down yeah. it really feels like there's stuff missing and i'd love to see if there's deleted scenes on a disc on the blu-ray or, or dvd um apparently there is a deleted scene of um Amberlin taking Mary Boleyn's son into mm. ward at one point, which, which of has course... happened, but not. It's more, according to what I've read, it's more portrayed as she's taking it for political power when it was more she was taking him in because her mother was ill. So. But nevertheless, if they'd left that in, it would have been an interesting uh, mirror reflection of what happens at the end. Yes. And, and, and again, this comes back to the things I liked about the film. Um, I like. The yes, it plays fast and loose with history, as so many history historically based films do. Yeah. But as and, and and as I've said, as you and I have said before, um, the fact that the locations are are, are are pretty accurate. I was shocked at how at some of the locations they got to shoot in. Mm. You know, it's one of those rare ones where I'm like, wow, we're not in a studio. We these are the this is the real deal. Yeah. Um. You know the the well, fact that's... that. The thing about making a period drama in Britain, we still have many of these buildings around, and yeah. many of them still look ish how they did back in the time. But this is also, but it's also taken a while for some of these properties to allow yeah. film productions in. So, so looking at, given it's two thousand eight, I'm looking at it going, wow, they, 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 that's amazing. The, the, I thought the, the everything about it, lighting, costuming, dress, I thought, you know. Y- it felt like you were there. Yeah. And I think that is sometimes the strength of a good piece of historical fiction. Mm. You know, I didn't read Gregory's stuff when I was younger and a teacher and teaching Tudor history because I wanted to use it in the teaching. That wasn't how it was going to work. It was, be- it was, it was for my entertainment. Mm. You know, it was to see what does a modern novelist think, want to do with the pieces of history and what's the point and i feel like that's the thing the film kept yeah the the, the, the film is ultimately about women in a time when we normally focus on the men Mm. and it's about what women would choose to do or decide to do to maintain or gain their survival their status their their fa- families in this time and I, I yeah I absolutely fast and loose with history no question 
but dramatically you know dramatically yeah. it's it's very well balanced very well put together and you've reached at least i felt like unlike a great deal of the stuff i've had to teach on this period i felt like i had a much better understanding of catherine yeah. by the end and of how and why the Bolin girls themselves would have found themselves in the situations they did and why even you know going back to the history why they would have then done made certain decisions yeah you know the importance of Norfolk the importance of their father the importance of their mother in the choices that they make in the decisions they do but also brother as well yes and even the brother yes um which these you know again very controversial scene based on that um uh which makes real something that was accused and may or may you know and yeah. is generally taken to have been you know something that didn't happen and i don't want to talk about it because it's a spoiler but um and yes i know it's ancient history it's, it's, it's old history people it's not really spoiler but i'm saying for people I, who've not seen the film the fact that she gets her head locked off yeah but that that that's as you said that's junior school you know, like, you, yeah, you know what i mean people, americans people... they might not know yeah but i don't they may not know why she got her head cut off true the actual accusation under which she was arrested. Yeah. That's that's the thing I'm driving at. So, so yeah, and, and I think the cleverest thing about the entire film is the ending. Yeah. Because it goes, here are, here is all of this tumult and politicking and manoeuvring in order to try and make sure there is another man mm. who becomes king, right? Yeah. And in the end, Britain's next great period of peace, relative peace, prosperity and massive cultural development is just around the corner. It will be one of his heirs, but it's not going to be the one he thinks. No, because we and went that's... from Henry VIII to Edward Seventh, I believe yep. it was. And then he James died Sun, because yeah. he was very sick. Yep. Um it then went to his sister who was queen mary yep. who then returned the country catholic and then straight after that it went because she died with no heirs even though she tried god damn it did she try um <laughs> she then passed the throne to queen elizabeth and yeah, the Elizabethan age is recognised as a one of those golden ages of Britain. Like, yes, um, it's when Shakespeare was there. It was the Armada, the yeah. um, exploration, expansion, yes. wealth, change. Yeah, this is, but and it all happens under one of the most fascinating women in British history, Elizabeth the First. Yeah, but and that's what I think is interesting about this feature version is it gives you some sense of how and why that such a massive, massive change could come about yeah. in British history. That a woman could be not only permitted to fully take the throne as opposed to rule in the stead of someone else mm. or on behalf of someone else, but also to then be as successful as she was. You know, there's a suge- the, 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 it, it, it's, it's a reminder that people don't come out of nowhere. No suddenly but fully formed as leaders and they're not always influenced solely by the men around them. I mean, Queen Elizabeth, well, Princess Elizabeth until she was crowned, 
had to go through many different hardships herself, losing yes. her mother at a very young age. Yes. Seeing her father die, seeing her family, just her dad constantly marrying other people. Obviously, she was moved about a lot. Um, there was never that happy family kind of thing. No. Uh, even though it was depicted in propaganda pieces. as yes. like uh, There was one piece where you've got Henry... Uh, Jane Seymour and Edward standing in the middle and the two princesses either side mm. sort of portraying that sort of happy family but Jane Seymour had already died by that point so yeah, yeah. well that's the other thing yeah. that fascinates me is we you know these days when we teach the cheaters at least in some schools I mean we do a really good lesson on the propaganda of the paintings yes and how they were used which I think modern audiences again aren't always aware of that, and I think that's one of the reasons why maybe I'm feeling slightly more lenient towards this film as a whole. Yeah, is that yes, we have all of these sources that primary sources telling us this, this, and this, but we also need to, uh, and and of course this is a massively detailed. Yeah, you know, this is an area of history that has been that is still being studied, that is studied in depth. There are hundreds of experts out there. Um, so everyone's looked at the motivations of the people who wrote the sources. Yeah, and we, what we've also got to understand, it's a period of history, although it's well documented, we can't know exactly what everyone said, we can't know everyone's motives, we can't know exactly what happened, because that sort of thing wasn't recorded. It's from diary entries, it's from letters, it's from paintings it's from tactics tactical uh, touching sources basically we can't the, we can get an idea for what it was like but we can't but was, find the exact words well the thing is but we also have to, this is all we, one also has to decide to to what degree one takes those sources at primary value yeah. so for at first uh, yeah sorry at face value so for example are these you know is a primary source is a private letter to someone else one tends to assume that that means that because it's intended as a private communication it's going to be relatively more accurate and honest however it's still one person's perspective but also it's a time period in which people recognize that when they choose to put something down on on, on paper because paper's expensive ink's expensive not everyone can read not everyone knows how to write that decision means that it is highly likely that unless someone destroys this, this is going to end up being part of a historical record. Yeah. You know, you, when you when they write a diary, they're writing it for themselves, but they are aware that later on, other people may read this diary. Mm. And so sometimes there is a degree of self-editing, self-censorship that may or may not be involved, or, or you know, not everyone. Some of them will just write what they write because they want an honest record. Yeah. Um, I'm, all I'm saying is that the calls for accuracy that I see sometimes from amateur historians in a lot of these reviews that we've got online still that did damn this film, I think often do that mistake that you see in amateur historians where there is an assumption that a primary source must be accurate. That's well, all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not saying that the other Berlin girl doesn't deserve the brickbats for being inaccurate. God, is it inaccurate. Mm. But it's not only entertaining, it's got a point to make. Yeah. And it makes that point very well. And that is to do with proto-feminism, to do with the nature of women and their roles in society, to do with how... You know, I've, I've met people you know, when, who are like, yeah, I can't believe Henry changed... You know, they changed history for some... for for the for, to, 
to bed some woman and get a kid and it's like and that shows how little you know and understand of the period yes <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah if that, that is a person who's seeing the other bilingual might at least get a better sense of why yeah i mean for a more i guess sort of truer sort of look at this sort of period uh Lucy Worsley has done Oh, she a, is. She's amazing these days. Uh, she's done a really good documentary that was on BBC uh, called The Six Wives of Henry VIII. Mm. And it looks at primarily the six wives mm. and uh, looks at what they were actually like. And, oh, you can always tell the joy that Lucy always has whenever she gets dressed up because mm-hmm. she's just having the ball, just having a whale of a time. Um, and... She does, again, mention the fact of the way that Anne Boleyn is depicted in many things, again, depends on the religion, depends on the gender of the person writing it, depends on the time period as well, because obviously stuff that's written during Queen Mary's reign is going to be very different from what was written during Queen Elizabeth's reign about her. And this also applies to now. Gregory wrote this novel last century. We're in the 21st century now. We've actually got further research, further writing, further detail. Um, I think Anne Boleyn is a lot more respected now than when the the book came out. Yes. Uh, Considering there is now a monument to her at uh, the Tower of London where she was executed. Yes. um, Recognising the fact that she was basically innocent of well most likely innocent of what she was accused of it's actually a really nice monument i've seen it myself um Mm -hmm. and recently her body was found in one of the chapels as well so she's Mm -hmm. been buried properly as a queen as well Mm -hmm. and it's the way she was treated by henry and we can sort of understand the desperation that he was in but at the same time as still shocking it is upsetting and the turbulence that the country must have been going through just from the amount of changes of queens because well Catherine yeah. of Aragon was supported she was well liked oh, of course and I think actually that's that possibly is the most the one of the largest failings of this film is it feels very internal. I mean, that may be partly because of the decision to shoot, because they didn't have a lot of money. It's not like they had the money to go out and do big CGI backdrops. Yeah, you can tell when occasionally they get, like, they do one establishing shot. And you can sort of tell it's CGI, because obviously... England doesn't look like that anymore. Yeah, and so so so, so there's a, there's a very much an indoor focus, but I think that I think that's the point of the film. It's yeah. not to worry about what the whole country's thinking. It's yeah. to stay focused on the people at the core of those decision making. Yeah, uh, that decision making, and I genuinely, I think it's I think the film is actually yeah for all its historical sins, I think that that sense of putting the women first yeah and suggesting that this is that in the end you know was it worth all of this when the best ruler to come was a woman mm. you know what was was it really worth all of this you know there's 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 some really you know again fiction though it is Anne's return from french court and the the instructions from norfolk to go in there and keep henry busy so that he stays sweet on her sister. Yeah. And she goes in there and does exactly the opposite. 
Mm. Yeah, the her entire approach at the time is so feels compared to everything we know we we've seen before about this period feels so bold and yeah. so unfettered and so grown up. Well, she was uh, seen as exotic uh, because of her French upbringing. Precisely, and and they made that work. Portman yeah. makes it work. That scene makes it work. The way the men at court then you know all become fascinated with her. You know, I found that that is something I'd never thought about before. Yeah, which is my, my failing as a history teacher. You know, uh, I I freely admit this is not my favorite period of history. But <laughs> nevertheless, you know, uh, this engaged me in a way that uh, a lot of the approaches to this period don't. And I, I, I think maybe that's in the end a plus. I think in the end this is the kind of thing where you can rail and rail and rail against the history of things. You know, the recent uh, uh, Mary Queen of Scots film also goes all out of its way to create things that didn't happen yeah. solely for dramatic effect. And we'll have to look at that in another mm. episode. But I do think that if as a teacher when i'm trying to get across certain things i can teach them the facts i can teach them the sort we can look at the sources we can analyze all of that but in the end somebody's going to ask me something about the psychology of the times or the or the people who were there the decision making and a lot of this stuff doesn't some of this stuff, yes you can you can look at the sources and try and get some of it but occasionally a good dramatic performance Especially when it's built by a on on solid writing from a good pl- you know a playwright who understands what they're doing. Yeah. Like here, I think that can achieve quite an effect. Yeah. Um, I mean, a positive one. Sorry. I mean, some one criticism I can't remember where I saw it was they're not speaking in the proper English that they would should have been at the that time, and it's like, but that is. The English they're using is what we understand to what how they're talking is how we would talk and that's how they would talk. I mean, it's sure, very if you complicated want... language yeah, discussion, um, but <laughs> well, it's like Shakespeare, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, this film would have been, you know, you, you're talking about the financial side now of where, how you make a film work. I mean, yeah, if they'd made the decision decision to keep it like that, then flop would have been like written all over it. Yes. I mean, you know, I mean. Ask Kenny Branagh, who who's the man widely credited by the Americans with popularizing Shakespeare again in the, in the late eighties and early nineties, mm-hmm. and I think justifiably so. But look at some of the decisions he made with dialogue in Henry V and 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 Much Ado About Nothing. And do you know what I mean? He, he yeah. made some key decisions to simplify and modernize certain elements, and and frankly, they work because they they keep it entertaining. I mean, I saw I saw both films. Did I see Henry V in the cinema? Yes, I did. I saw both films in the cinema, and the scene at the end of Henry V, which he basically wrote himself to make it more uh, relevant to the EU discussions of the time, funnily enough, mm. um, made people genuinely laugh out loud in the cinema, and much ado about nothing when it was in the cinema. People who wouldn't, who back then who would never have paid money to go and say, see Shakespeare, either at the theatre or anywhere else, were not only queuing up and the, the cinema was stuffed, people were laughing out loud yeah and and that you know that's what is possible still with with judicious thinking and i feel yeah no that to me that's minor you you don't if we start worrying about recasting all our uh, historical films in dialogue we can't understand without subtitles then we're not going (laughs) to get things are never going to get made right we're running out of time so nope don't be that's this period of history is just so fascinating it is it is, it's... and there's so much more to say on it as well. Yeah. So, very quickly, let's wrap this up. What do we think? Real history or real history? 
It's definitely closer to real, as in... Film. Film. But it gets over the drama of the period. So what do you think? 20% real real history? Yeah, something... 80% fiction? Yeah. (laughs) So... It's or would got... you would you be more generous? Maybe thirty five percent. I can. I, I, I let's split the difference. So we say thirty percent. Yeah. We reckon thirty percent is of a it. A third is, of it. Yeah. Is, let's go thirty three point three. Yeah. Okay. So we reckon there's a good third of it you could recognise as being useful in historical terms, even if it's not one hundred percent accurate. But the yeah. rest of it is fiction. And fun fiction at that. Excellent. On that note. People, you can find us, if you're listening to this, we're on bunkerzilla.co.uk. That means you can find all our contact details there. Um, And, uh, yeah, well, listen to us next episode. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye.